0: Shannon Blank, Shannon Blanc. Shannon
1: Blanc. Shannon Blanc. <laughs> Blanc is now going to be my test word for every. <laughs>
0: it's going to be your test word, man.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Liquid Stories, a podcast about making your mouth happy through the pleasures of wine. I'm Troy Bowen of Noble Riot Wine Bar in beautiful, vibrant, colorful Denver, Colorado. I sat down with Adi Badenhorst from Swartland, South Africa, in June of 2019. I've been a fan of his wines for many years, and I was thrilled to have a chance to sit down and listening back through these recordings has brightened some of my pandemic days. I hope the same is true for you, and I hope you find these wines. He's a fantastic winemaker in a fantastic region, in a fantastic community. So please enjoy and drink up.
0: Yeah, my name is uh, Adi Bartnost, I'm from South Africa, um, I'm a winemaker, I live in a farm called Kalmusfontein, and uh, I'm the owner of A.A. Bartnost Family Wines, Well, co-owner, my right. wife okay. is obviously uh, part owner with me and my, my cousin as well, and that's Hein yeah. So right. he's uh, from my, my father's side okay. and he's also involved in agriculture, And he, his father got olive plantations a couple of hours north of us, okay. a couple of game farms and... Uh, When we started this business, I called in Hein to give us a hand. How I started out, my first job was in the Swatland in 1998. Then I went to Stellenbosch for a couple of years, but in 1998 to 1999, I met Erben Saad, he became good friends with Erben. And um, Erben's property is very close to where we are now. And uh, I've known about this farm for a while. We used to buy grapes in this area and uh, the farm was never on the market. And it just, it was all about timing and luck. When I left Rustenburg at the end of 2007, Wides and uh the property came in the market, and Eben phoned me, and uh, we went through and had a look. I was I was I was like fired from Rustenburg. So I was I was asked to leave. I made some like dodgy rosé and. Uh, <laughs> You know, <laughs> that was it, really, that, that was it. No, they're really strict on their rosé quality, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so, the end of 2007, uh, my wife <laughs> and I and uh, young son Samuel at that stage, right. he was just 13 months old, um, we were without a, a house, you know? yeah. and uh, then this farm just came on the market at perfect timing and I phoned Hein and went to have a look at the property, and it was just in the most amazing piece of land, yeah. completely dilapidated. But it was an east-facing farm on the Paderberg Mountain, so elevation up to a thousand feet. But an amphitheater, just planted with old vines. It's a mountain of texture, granite soils, different kinds of granite soils, differing with regard to their decomposition, um, and mainly planted to very old vines: Chenin Blanc, Grenache, Cinso, those kind of varieties. Sémillon. Um, yeah, so we bought the property. It was a 120-acre farm. It was quite neglected. The winery had last been used in the 1940s, but everything was still intact. The concrete tanks, the roof was caving in. Bats had wow. moved into the tanks, and just with a lot of hard work, we just cleaned it out, put a floor in the winery, installed a very decent coffee machine and a turntable, <laughs> and um, started making wine. You know, so, from these old vineyards. You know, it was difficult in the beginning. Because the vineyards had been neglected for so long, um, and it took a lot of hard work to get the vineyards back, to get some vigor back into the vines, get some life
1: and get some spirit back into them. What took more work, the winery or the vineyards? No, the
0: vineyards, definitely. The winery is really simple. The building was there. It's just a case of putting on a new roof, just some roof sheets. You know, you can do a lot with uh, cement and paint, patch up everything. So people still come to my place and they say, Shit, man, this place is going to look amazing when you do it (laughs) up. Fuck, what are you talking about? It's done. (laughs) You know? that's brilliant. That's what it looks like at the moment. But the vineyards took all the work. So I grew up in Constantia. And Constantia was the original place where they grew wine. First grapes in South Africa, 360 years ago. I went to a school called Weinberg, Mm -hmm. which is named after the place where the first wines were grown. So I grew up in Constantia. My father was involved there, my grandfather so I grew up in Constantia in that wine culture, then moved to Stellenbosch. I studied in Stellenbosch and uh, spent one year in the Swatland and then came back to Stellenbosch to work in Rustenburg. Stellenbosch is completely different, much higher rainfall. Um, there's a different structure in Stellenbosch, a different hierarchy, and far more traditional wine producers, established estates. Right. Whereas the Swatland, we found the Swatland was a cowboy country, but it was uh, peppered and L- you know, beautifully littered with old vineyards. And okay. these old vineyards were the big attraction for myself and obviously for a lot of other winemakers that have moved there subsequently. So we got on average, on an average year, 400 millimeters of rain, okay. whereas Stanamash may be up to 700, Yonkazup 1,200. No, right. you know, so it's, so it's a dry area, but it's a very big appellation. The Swatland is a, is a place that's, that, that was built on mixed farming. So in the lower areas, the guys grew wheat up on the hills where, they, where it was easier, impossible to work with machinery where they planted vineyards. And vines have been planted there since the early 1700s. Oh, that's amazing. But you're right in the fact that it has been dominated in the past by one or two big cooperatives. There have always been quality producers and quality grapes in the Swartland, Great. without a doubt. And these wines ended up in wines from the KWV or in Stellenbosch. Great bought a lot of fruit from the Swatlands. So it's always been great quality, but the image of the area has been dominated by, by, by big cooperatives. But that changed dramatically when a guy called Eben Sadi, and, well, in fact, a guy called Charles Back, John Platter, and they bought a farm called the Spice Root. That's when the Swatlands started changing. 1997, I think, okay. Eben started at, uh, at Spice Root. Born in the same birth year, 1972, quite a dodgy vintage, um, particularly <laughs> yeah. in South Africa for wine. Amazing vintage for human great beings. Yeah, great for <laughs> Great vintage for human beings. Um, but, yeah, so we met uh, when I was working in a place called Kruta Post, which is, in, which is in Darling. That's when I met Eben. He, we studied at the same place, but he was a couple of years ahead of me. I was messing around doing other stuff before that. And that's where I met him. And so we, was that- we, we immediately formed a bond and became good friends. Just watched... Uh, with, uh, with a tremendous amount of amazement and a lot of envy uh, at Eben's progress. You know, once he'd left Spice Roots, started his own winery, the Saudi family, how he started exploring and really giving these old vineyards an identity. And that was very attractive to me. And so I went to visit Eben every now and then. I just saw what he's doing and oh, I was amazing. You know, i never forget the first day I drove up uh, the road that we live on. It's called the Yackelsfontein Road. Yackels is a jackal. Oh, okay. And I drove up this road in this old farm school there. I thought I was in another place. Yeah. I thought, I, would, you know, to get that kind of scenery, that kind of feeling and that kind of humility in the landscape, you need to drive five, six hours out of the Cape yeah. Town, out of the city to get that kind of... But yet, this was an hour from the city centre. Type in the town Marmonsbury, M-A-L-E-M-E-S-B-U-R-Y. Mm-hmm. That is sort of part of the Swatland. So from, from Marmonsbury. And where we are, we're a little bit south of Marmers, we're called the Paderberg. And if you go north from there for 150 kilometers, you're still in the Swartland. Very diverse. So where we are, it's granitic soils. And granites, I love granite soils. Um, there's a lot of shale soils around us as well. There's sh- soils from Table Mountain Sandstone. There's limestone soils on the coast. We're very diverse. My, my father-in-law said, so So French-hook translated means French corner. Okay. So when the French Huguenots came out to South Africa from 1688 to 1692, right. a lot of the French Huguenots came over from from Holland, and they were put into uh, into France to to start producing wine. They had a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. But my father-in-law was also a winemaker. He says. The the South Africans, the first they were, they would never have given the best viticultural land to the French. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but <laughs> is a is a really beautiful place. Um, there's some old vines there, some okay. stellar producers. You know, the first that spring to mind uh, obviously it was a good friend of ours is a place called Buchanotes Cluff. Oh, yeah, okay. That are really leading the charge. They they do source food from, from outside of it. Chamonix is another amazing place. Uh, the Malinues or in Franschhoek as well, they've got a, a winery there. So it's an amazing place, um, but but very different landscape-wise. Right. The Swartland is, is open, there's less vegetation, it's it's these granite slopes, it's peppered with fynbos, which is a natural vegetation, it's sort of the garig, these aromatic the bushes wow. that grow in the mountains there. So it's very, very different. Stellenbosch is just trees and you know, greens, flowing rivers. Right. Svartlant is, I don't know, it's like when that cowboy climbs on his horse and he's, I don't know, he's going off into the distance, it's quite lonely, (laughs) that Svartlant there, you know. Oh man, we've got a great bunch of people. You know, uh, it's very, very difficult to make um, uh, an impression on, on, on this immensely competitive world of wine if you haven't got the right people with the right mindset and in the right area. Right. So... The most well-known is, is Ibn Sadi. Right. Um, we are there now, the Malinu family. Uh, there's a farm called Porcelainberg, which is owned by Kluf. Then right, there yeah. are guys like Donovan Roll, makes amazing wine. Jochen Ghost from like Craig Hawkins, formerly of Lamazuk, but now doing his own wines. Jasper Wickens, a guy that I He and I worked together for a long time. The, the, the list continues. Nice. There's amazing wines there. And these guys are all working from proper vineyards, right. uh, different wine styles, but there's a, there's a spirit of camaraderie there that is amazing. You know, one of our neighbours that we buy fruit from is a guy called Andrew Whiteman. and uh, he's a builder by trade and he farms grapes and he started making wine now as well. But the wine is amazing, yes. you know. And you need that kind of you need that kind of input. Right. It it, it doesn't just help you have traditional farming stock. Yes, there's a there's a generational knowledge that's passed on, but you also need ideas from outside. What we try and do is pool a lot of the labor between, between the farmers. Okay. Right. But your yeah, labor is going to become more and more difficult to get, to get hold of because we work with bush vines. There's a lot of hand labor. We, yeah. we, when we plant vineyards, we plant rootstock and we graft on. So there's those kind of skills that right. we need to keep alive. Our farm is that we, we, we've just purchased a farm below us, a small office. So yes. we've got 100 hectares of land. 100 hectares of land, and we've got about 43 hectares of vineyard,
1: okay.
0: of old vines, and each year we plant another hectare and a half. Okay. Um, I'm leasing the farm next door to me as well, which is 18 hectares of, of vineyard, nice. and plus another seven hectares, so we up to like 75 hectares that we farm myself. Then I buy grapes as well from my other neighbours, because you know these guys were taking the grapes to the co-op, okay. getting like ridiculous prices for it, and it's just much nicer just to. So right. they so they call like my farm uh, like this, the world's smallest cooperative. There were two <laughs> members. Now there's like four, <laughs> four, <right. laughs> you exactly. Know, and you doubled in size. <laughs> Double in size. So that that that's how we do it. You know, um, the aim is to eventually have probably sixty five, seventy hectares of our own vineyards. You know, because that, that that is that is where it all starts. It starts with the soil and the plant. Yeah. And you know, grapes are becoming more and more scarce. There's a lot a lot of right. competition for grapes and. We don't want to put unnecessary pressure on ourselves. We'd rather just farm the vineyards right. ourselves, have direct control on that. Planting blending vineyards that we think can work. Um, but we're planting the usual, you know, the, last year we planted Zegrenash, Sinso, okay. Carignan, Terret Noir, cunoise, Bastard, Alicante, and a, quite a few Portuguese varieties, Suzau, uh, Toriga, um, Tinta Barocca. We've got a strong Portuguese heritage. I mean, the Portuguese were the first guys to sail past God. the Cape. They got—I don't know—they got chased off. Thank goodness, like 500 years ago. Right. But um, no, but the, but we've got a strong Portuguese influence, and a lot of Portuguese varietals are planted in the Cape. You find all vineyards of Tinta Barocca, and they're amazing. Right. They can take—they—they—they they, they can take the heat. They are susceptible to a bit of sunburn, but um, but. With that heat, they still maintain an amazing kind of freshness. They, it's almost like Cunoise in the, in the Rhone. They give you that sort of zip inside, lift, yeah. you know. Um, and on the white side, obviously, Chenin Blanc is, uh, is for us, the most amazing varietal. Um, but we've planted Grenache Blanc. We're planting vidello Semillon we're planting. We're mm-hmm. planting some Claret, Palomino. I've grafted over a couple of hectares of table grapes now just to uh, Trebbiano. Um, oh, wow. Columbar and Shannon, just for uh, for brandy production. Okay. We make a bit of brandy every year. We've got fantastic old Columbar vineyards, but we want to up our brandy production. So have drafted over vineyard to that. We have to farm with all these climate changes. And I think we need to farm for acidity and varieties that are rootstocks that are more resistant to drought, right. that require less water, because we don't have water. In the beginning, right. for the first couple of years, we water these. Young vines by hand. It's a right. it's a it's a tremendous job. It takes days and days. Guys, right. just a dedicated team watering these vines. So we need to plant the varieties that are suited to us. And these and the varieties I mentioned have got quite a track record. Eben is experimenting with a whole lot of others. Right. But you know, I'm just the first generation on this farm. My son and daughter, right. they can carry on with other stuff. But we need to look after our soils. And we're working very hard at that. Composting, mulching, correct cover crops. That's where it starts. That's where you're gonna create the perfect environment for these. Because it's a harsh environment this one. It's not easy. It's warm and it's dry and it's windy. We need to really, really look after our soils. I think it's very important to have a, a long-term vision. You know, we are I'm from a farming background, and when you plant something, you know, we're not planting strawberries. You know, maybe asparagus is a little bit longer term, but, right. but these these are vineyards that need to get old. And we realize that the first couple of years of their life are the most important. That's going to set them for the next 50. Um, and yeah, obviously you obviously want to leave something for your children right. to carry on. But we we also plant, I, I try and plant every year, a hectare or a hectare half of uh, oak trees. I plant a lot of indigenous plants, a lot of uh, indigenous trees, wild olives, and I love cork oaks. So we just plant cork oaks. And uh, I don't know, just just to break the the monotony of vineyards. And right. We plant on contour. We don't... Cut blocks okay. in, a, in a way, we plow gently on the contours, we look after the run of water, if there is yeah when, uh, it when 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 it comes it's just yeah. trying to trying to be a little bit more sensible in that way and dogmatic I mean we, we're not organic, you know we do have disease pressure at certain times of the year because we keep our cover crops up high we there's less wind right. movement through the vines, but we need to keep the cover crop up to encourage the growth of the young vines, so we get sometimes a bit of mildew problems yeah. there and the young stuff. So, But we just farm with our eyes open. When you taste the juice of these old vines, I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a cerebral dwarf when it comes to chemistry, but but when you taste the juice of like old vine, Grenache versus yeah. young vine, there's just something different in the chemistry yeah. of the juice. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know how to measure it or whatever. But so we had to... So the potential was there. The vines had just been a little bit neglected. They hadn't been uh, there hadn't been no sort of fertiliser, irrigation, mulching. The weeds were rampant. So we started slowly, vineyard by vineyard. You know, it was very expensive when we started out. You know, we didn't have any cash flow. We just started this new business. And we, you know, in in, in South Africa, we, you, you've got to be sustainable on a, on a few kind of fronts. You know, most important for us was to be obviously financially sustainable. Sure. Because right. if you're not financially sustainable, you can't be. Socially sustainable, and that's a big thing. We want to employ a lot of people. We want to employ people to provide work because you want to, you know, the money we pay goes directly back into the communities right. and it stimulates the economy. And, you know, so that, that's, that's how our sustainability is from financial, yeah. social, environmental. That, that's the kind of pyramid we're working on. Right. Um, and now that we've got more time and the vineyards are much more under control, right. we, can, we can pay even more precise detail and attention to that just to try and improve it. The quality of the of the fruit look this is, sounds like i know what i'm saying but but you know it's uh, i learned it's every every season it's i think sh- i think shit, man like what are, we what, a man. Awesome. what are we doing here we're all inspired by by various wines and people of course you know when 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 you're young and you're starting out there are people that tread big you know, footprints in your life and they make a huge impact you know i was fortunate enough to to have those kind of people in my life and um also fortunate enough to to taste interesting wines. uh my father was not a winemaker, he's a farmer. farmed vegetables and some table grapes. My grandfather was a quick say he's just a farmer, but I was there and 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 they drank wine. We drank wine all the time and uh the wine that that really changed the way I saw wine was uh was the wine from uh, Muzar it was Serge Jean wines, you know uh tasting those wines. I remember I worked in New Zealand. I was working in a place called Delegates in Wither Hills. And I'd worked night shift to the one, day shift to the other. I was like pretty buggered, you know, and like every now and then, like a weekend, get a weekend night off, uh, go with a friend of mine who's, uh, he runs a thing called Wines Direct now in New Zealand and got with him and, you know, he just bought out this magnum of uh, Muzar, 1978 Muzar. And I tasted this wine. I couldn't believe it, you know, because coming from you know those where I was working. What the wines that are being produced there? This wine knocked me sideways, and I, I couldn't sleep. You know, just right. thinking about this wine. And um, I've always sorted out, and I've, I've just loved the way this wine just flows and changes from where you drink it, the time of the day you drink it, the vintages it was. Right. It is a completely free-flowing wine. And obviously, you know, later I, I met Serge I came to the Swartland and he presented wines there. And it was an amazing honor yeah. to, 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 to meet the guy. And I, I toured in the States a few times with him as well. Yeah. And um, so that was like the wine that changed me at that, 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 that moment, I think, the Muzar. Um, And obviously, you know, when I was working in Salabosh, rastenberg I was working with Bordeaux Varietals. And yeah. uh, following, following a tradition and, and the wines we made are really solid. And it was a fantastic time to work with. Rustenburg is an amazing property. It's 1,200 hectares. Spectacular. Anywhere wow. else in the world, this would be an appellation on its own, right. this farm. It's, a, it's the most special farm in South Africa yeah. in terms of wine. Um, yeah. So, you know, people obviously, interested, uh, the winemakers, at a guy called Jean Daniel. There was a guy called de Toit at Krookonstansche. I remember he gave me a bottle. And the great Ross Gower at Constantia, we used to hang out with him every now and then. I mean, and my father-in-law, you know, he was also a winemaker. It was quite a strong influence on my life. Yes. So I've been fortunate that way. have been exposed to, to these old wines, um, though, there was a time in South Africa, you know, we had apartheid, that thing called apartheid from 1948, we had right. almost 50 years of apartheid. Um, and so South Africa was living in complete isolation sanctions you couldn't buy sport against anybody but it was, it was it was a terrible time but but what it did was um from an agricultural point of view it made farmers very very independent and they did a lot of internal research and development <clears throat> so when it comes to viticulture and soil preparation so i think it's years ahead and 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 vime years ahead of any other country it's it's amazing guys from Israel fly to South Africa to come and see what you're doing in terms of propagation. We go and learn from them with, with irrigation, of course. But in terms of vine propagation, what happening in South Africa is, is leading the world. And in terms of soil preparation as well, understanding soil preparation, understanding root development, which is the most important thing, we get back to the plant. You know, South Africa's way It's So that sort of isolation forced us to think, you know, right. internally. When, when apartheid was disbanded and everything opened up in 1994, you know, all the guys suddenly were drinking Australian Shiraz and Californian right. Cabernet. Yeah, amazing, you know. So we all try to make that. We all try to make that. These these opulent wines. And there was a time in our history where we where we forgot our heritage. Right. And now, now in this 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 time and age in South Africa, we are, we are going back to those wines right. because those wines in the in the, in the cellars. Those are the truth. That is the truth of South African wine. And the bunch of guys that are now making wine in South Africa, the the, the sensible producers, realizing that and making really, really amazing site-specific, sensible wines. And once you do that, then you can really express the varietal. You know, the plants, everything came from Europe. But but I think if you you look at, uh, you know, United States of America, Australia and South Africa. South Africa does, in, in my opinion, f- the much better job of bridging the gap between the so-called Europe and, and, and the rest of the world. We've got the fruit. We've got the tannin. We get the ripeness. But it's not in opulence, and it's also not in um, uh, in uh, restraint, as some of the European wine. I, th- I think we, we, we make amazing wines that bridge the gap between the old and the new world. Yeah. We've had Cabernet on the farm right. when I arrived. There was Cabernet, there was Merlot. Mm. Just didn't work, didn't ripen, just didn't work. There was no, you no. Know, if you if you want to plant Cabernet in South Africa, you need to go to Stellenbosch on the right. Helderberg. Right. Amazing Cabernets, you know. Right. It's really Cabernet country. We are the varietals that work well are the so-called Rhone varietals. Some of the Portuguese stuff works really, really well. Um, you know, Shannon is just. We had the. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Rosa Kruger phoned me. Uh, she, she's a viticulturist and so She phoned me and so, said, listen, can we come to your farm? I said, yeah, who is me? I said, no, 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 there's a, some French people are coming. And these guys were from, I don't know, some other French research. Nobody heard what I reviewed or whatever. And they were vine hunting. Oh, yeah. So they they, they got a problem in France yeah. is with their genetic diversity of, of, of particularly Shannon Blanc. So they came out to our place and they, they walked up and down the farm, marking vines and just saying, we're going to take cuttings of this. And, you know, they came and just a couple of days ago before I left, they um, they came to make cuttings now wow. because we are in winter, you know, it's uh, yeah. July. So they, they took some cuttings. June, I mean, they came and took some cuttings. And so, huh. yeah, I mean, Shannon has just adapted here in South Africa so well. You know, it was planted, funny enough, you know, uh, we, we plant these days, we plant uh, varietals that are low-producing. But in the old right. days, the old and yeah. vineyards, we planted for production. Because South Africa had a massive um, culture of, of sherry and, and, and distilling. Right. But right. these vineyards now, just because they're flipping old, the, the yields are low. But it's really amazing to right. see the, the mesal selections that come out of the South African vineyards. Right. And we've got rootstocks like the, the uh, Richter 99 rootstock. That is particularly suited to the Paderberg. They call this the Paderberg Richter, and it's amazing just on this piece of. So that's what's happened with a with the isolation from the past and, and 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 we've never selected clonal stuff. We've always selected from within vineyards too, and, and right, so the right. genetic diversity of Chenin is great in South Africa. But it just does well. They, apparently, they plant a bit of Chenin in, in the Loire as well. I've heard. Yeah, occasionally. Some there. Well, I, I I think you know I I obviously love the wines. Uh, from the Loire, I really yeah. love them and, uh, you know, they age magnificently as well. A very good friend of mine, Vincent Karim, fantastic yeah. selection, you know. Right. So Tanya's a good friend of mine. But, you know, their wines have got lower pHs. You know, they, these calcareous or that high clay, but with low pHs. So the sensation of acidity is much higher. Yes, right. so South, South Africa we've got more sunlight, higher pHs, uh, a little bit more tannin in the skin. So you're getting a completely different flavor profile right. in that berry. I think our stuff, uh, the, the, in general, the Shannon from South Africa is, is, is a little bit more flavorful, right. but it is a bit broader. It hasn't got that, that tension that right. the guys in the Loire get. But it's, right. it's, 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 it's beautiful all around, and they can age amazingly. I mean, one of the great South African wines is a Blanc de Blanc made at Klein Constantia, Shannon Blanc. That right. thing is singing still to this day. In the past, you used to have to have a piece of land
1: right. and
0: a building. Right. Today, if you want to make wine, you don't need any of that. Yeah. You just need a few dollars to buy a couple of kilograms right. of grapes and you can, and you can make wine. Right. And that wine can be amazing. Yeah. And that, that, that's the great thing that right. it's lowered the, you know, this, uh, the way wines are made today and the way wines are sold. Yeah. You don't need these heavy infrastructure. Mm. And, you know, you can be so light on your feet. I, yeah, when, when I started out, I rented uh, a bit of space at the uh, experimental winery in Stellenbosch. Yes. It's like this ancient winery, man. It's built in the in the 20s and it's like oh, wow. tiled floors and so that oh, wasn't wow. being used. So I rented that and for 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 my start, you know, yeah. before I fixed up our place. But, yeah, these custom crushes is becoming more and more of an option, particularly Tinta Barocco. There's some fantastic old vineyards. One vineyard I am renting at the moment is a seven hectare vineyard. Planted in 1962, extremely low yields. Amazing. And it makes the wine that we bottle on it on, on its own. It's an unpronounceable name called Skavanki's Flame. Nice. Unpronounceable name. Um, but uh, it, the Portuguese varietals for me just add, as I said before, they've got that, they've got that tannin to them. And if I if I if I have to sort of throw them all together and try and describe the tannin of, of Tinta, Toriga, you know, by started together, it's almost like a young Shiraz that's married a, a Nebbiolo kind of kind of tannin structure. And that freshness, which for us is a, very important because we're working a lot with other grapes like Grenache and Sinso, right. which, as you know, don't have a lot of acidity. Um, Shiraz has amazing tannin and sometimes a bit of acidity. Um, but so it's important for, for our wine and our style to have... These Portuguese guys. And the Portuguese don't kill the bull either, man. Right, right. Smash so not kill the bull. Right, right. You know, they let him go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? So you gotta love the Portuguese. But the one uh Tinder is a single vineyard, but the rest we will use in blending. And we make a lot of fortifieds as well. So I've been making fortified wines every year since two thousand and nine. A couple of thousand liters. I haven't sold anything yet. It's all still in barrel. Yes. I'm running out of space. I'm <laughs> gonna start selling when it's twenty years old. When when, yeah. when when there's a market, I'm right. waiting for my generation to, to grow up and start drinking, like, great fortifieds again. So we make a lot of fortifieds. And so, yeah, these Portuguese varieties on the one side, in blends and for fortifieds, amazing. Um, and the other very important reds, uh, obviously, for, for, for myself, is uh, Grenache, uh, Sinso, and we use uh, Shiraz as well, of course. But um, the Grenache is for me, the... I don't know, growing on... We've got the oldest Grenache planting in South Africa. 1951, is not that old, but it's the oldest wow. vineyard in South Africa. It's only 1,200 plants, vines, that look like trees. I mean, my son, when he goes and prunes these things, I mean, they, they tower above him. It's Great. crazy, Great. you know? Um, and we produce 1,200 litres, maybe 1,300 litres a year, just over a litre per, per vine. Um, but Grenache in granite soils... Is, uh, is, for me, the perfect expression of a place. You know, Grenache can often be picked too ripe, 14 and a half, yeah. 15 alcohol, yeah. 16 alcohol. It can be jammy and opulent. But when it's, when it, when it's picked with a little bit more restraint, it's got yeah. an amazing, I don't know, I always say like a, it's the perfect um, listening grape. If you want to tell somebody a story, you know, they have to be a good listener so they can tell the story to somebody else. Right. Grenache is that grape, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it takes its age, the low yields, and the it granites, and, a a dish, and that is it, you know. Sinso mm-hmm. is the other important grape. We've got quite a lot of sinso planted on the farm. We're young sinso as well for uh, Secretiers Red. Uh, the very old sinso, we use, uh, we bottle a single vineyard sinso called Ram Nasgras, and we use some of that in our, in, our, in our family red blend as well. But that's also an amazing grape, especially when it's got a bit of age. Because then it gives you different layers of tannin. It's got amazing fruit, beautiful fruit, but it's just got these serious layers of transparent tannin. Whereas the young sun oh man, they just say, hey man, we're fruity, strawberry, hey man, we could just drink, drink all day long. Right. The, 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 the young vines give that. Older vines are a little bit more serious. Um, and and just vastly different if you, if you if you taste the two next to each other. And Sancerre is a grape that was workhorse grape of the Cape. It was used to make everything: fortifieds, white wine, red wine. All the great old South African wines of the 50s and the 60s and the 50s and the 40s contained a fair dollop of Sancerre.
1: Who brought that down? Like who was it that thought that Sansa was going to be the South African great back in the
0: oh, it was it was a thing that 40s. just grew amazingly because remember okay. after phylloxera, we also had phylloxera in South Africa. So Sinsa was there before that. But after Phylloxera, the guys wanted to plant something that could just and have big yields. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why they carried on. It was Shannon Blanc and um and um Sinsa were, were the main reds. There were, of course, there were other reds. Shiraz, yeah. they were they were all there, Tintabara, they were all there. But those were the dominant varieties of the day. The other dominant varieties in terms of the white was semiul. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: A lot of semiole, which they call green grape. And oh. in South Africa there's this, a very special mutation that occurs and it's red semuel. So it's a red mutation. Oh, wow. So they call that red green. Oh, nice. <laughs> green grape? Red and, green And red green grape. So so those are the, you know, those, those are the workhorse varieties of the cake. You know, and yeah. uh, I don't know, I think why, when 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 these varieties are planted and the place for long enough they I don't know just there's some off. kind of memory in them and they and they really become part of a part of a site and part of a, uh, a country right. we've got a, a range of wines well it's just two wines called the it's the A.A. Bartner's family wine so my I'm Andre Adrian so it's like it's, it's really nice words on top of the wineness alphabetical it used to be shit at school I always used to do my like present my marks first, first or do an oral first well, as was, back. you know <laughs> it's terrible man but um so we do a range called the A.A. Bartmoss Family Wines, and it's a white and a red blend. And what we wanted to do with these, this is the only two wines I ever wanted to make. You know, I wanted to make two wines, white and a red, that express this place. But everybody says that. Of course, every winemaker right. will talk that kind of shit, you know. Yeah. So what we try and do, so there's this red blend is Shiraz, Grenache, Cinso, uh, Tinta Baraka. The white is Shannon plus 10 or 12 other different grapes. Ryan's son, Roussan, Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, right. Semi Blanc, Semi Green, Colombo, a little bit of Chardonnay, Palomino, uh, uh, everything. But so he wanted to make something representative. And uh, fuck, how do, how do you do that? How do you make something that's truly what was obviously, you know, I, I'm biased towards myself. So what is something that's truly South African, that's truly a representation? How do you do that? You have to pick everything together on the one day. So that's okay. You know, so, so a red, a red blend, we pick everything over one or two days and we ferment them together. The white's exactly the same. So you'll have some elements that are ripe and some that are green and so, but, but we pick it together just to have, to diminish the, my input. Because God, right. if I start deciding, you know, when to pick every bloody right. grape, it's going to, it's going to drive me mad. We just decide, okay, we don't pick it on a Monday because we're recovering from the weekend. We don't pick on a Monday. Let's pick <laughs> on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. We'll pick the white grapes. And we, and we bring them in, throw them in the press together. we press the juices together, and they'll ferment together. And the reds will will uh, throw everything into the tank. A lot of whole bunches. We do the Shiraz, a whole bunch. We de-stem some of the Sinso and the, and the Grenache into the tanks, and they do the fermentation. So they it's like an arranged marriage from the beginning. And uh, so you make one decision. There's no blending six months later right. or 12 months later. Your only, your only other decision is obviously when to bottle. So you make one decision of to pick and then to bottle.
1: Right.
0: With any other wine,
1: yeah. with any other
0: blend, you're making 10 decisions right. when to pick varietals.
1: How do you decide when you're I don't know, them? man. We just Wait.
0: drive Wait. around. <laughs> we drive around and have a look at the vineyards. We drive around, so have a look right. at the vines. We have a look at the sugars, and we say, "Oh, there's nice flavors." We have a look at, obviously, you know, we have a look at the weather. We look at, we. We don't want wines. We don't want to pick anything off twelve and a half percent alcohol. We want some love in our wines, right. you know. So and uh, so, we aim for ripenesses of between thirteen and thirteen and a half, and that to us, traditionally and sure. in the last ten years, has has given us good. Um, Good flavor, ripeness, and a nice balance in the wine. Right, um, but
1: which which red and which white? No, seem I don't to, know. No, but I don't I'm just know. curious. Like, say, even if you don't choose one to to see which ripeness is of those of the reds and the whites, when you pick which one seems to be the the one that is the the, the readiest at that point.
0: So so curious. so in in our in our um in our red, it's normally normally Shiraz. It's like fifty okay. percent Shiraz. Awesome. So that is the one that is probably uh, the ripest component that's probably sitting at a potential alcohol of 14 and a half maybe right, right, right. and then the, the, Cinsos and, the and, and and the grenaches are much much lower right. so you yeah, know so we blend pick those together like that Do you have that fresh fruit in the ripeness and Thing like that i don't know i don't know that, that that's how we do it it's fucking it's probably like it's not as our wines are most first they are not as well made <laughs> as uh, most of my neighbors wines certainly not as well made but they are perfect in what they yeah. tend to express about our approach to to, right. to wines
1: well you can't get a better snapshot of a place in the world uh than picking them all in the same two days like there's that, no better way to do that that's, that's
0: what I, that, that that's what i believe that's what i believe and um I believe with the with, with the whites, obviously, similarly um, to maybe not have those whites on skins for a long time, and you know, otherwise, otherwise, the stylistic approach becomes the the dominant factor in right, in really gets yeah in the in in that wine. Um, so those are the two wines we have: family white and red. We've been making it for the last ten years, and there's a magnificent vintage variation. There's, uh the, the great vintages, the vintages that are quite cool running into the ripening period. Uh, we've had a lot of drought years. We've had years, we've had a lot of water. But the wines, um, they, they're always interesting to me. I mean, uh, the whites develop amazingly. They get that, uh, that uh, I don't know what it's, uh, that waxy textured kind of feel of, of like a Roan. I love the old Rhone whites. So yeah. know, I worked for, for Alan Gray a couple of years ago. We used to go and drink old uh, white hermitage and I just love that, that waxiness Bad, and right? yeah, I love that. So our wines in the beginning for the first couple of years, they're quite lean and tight. They've got the granites, but later on they sort of open up. And the reds, because we ferment uh, on, on, on uh, whole bunches, there's always a, you know, a, enough tannin um, and it's, you know, the wines are direct and they, they're far more elegant than our whites. Um, it's just a stylistic thing, I think. Yeah. So, we bought this farm. Obviously, you start yep. making wine, you can only sell X amount, you know? And we had this amazing Chenin Blanc that was left. We had 9,000 liters in a tank. And um, so I was sitting there talking to to my wife. I said, listen, man, you know, we've got to, like to sell this stuff. Like, but, but what are we going to call it? You know, we, we've we got these two wines that are representing the whole Appellation. But now we've got this this varietal red, a varietal white called Chenin Blanc. You need to you know, what do we, so we just, uh, we came up with the name secateurs, which is the pruning shears. Right. And that is the tool that we, that is, you use it for harvesting, for pruning, it shapes the vines. Right. So that became the most sort of honest name for the wine. Right. Some people say it sounds fancy French, but that we call secateurs, secateurs. And yeah. so my wife said, let's call it secateurs. Yeah. It's,
1: it's a very humble tool. To yeah,
0: it's <laughs> exact. And so, that's, and so that's, how, that's how that started in uh, 2000 and end of 2008, 2009 um and um so secateurs is now a range as well of, 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 of on, the, on the white side it's mainly shannon uh, blanc in the reds the the blend is it's red blend, but mainly sinso and then we do a rosé which has always been mainly sinso but except from 2019 um the one we've just bottled i bottled it just before i left here so there's bottles at the end of may um and that's got quite a bit of Mouvade in as well oh, nice. really nice young vine more verd, pressed directly it just gives it a Whole another level. It's really nice. delicious. Yeah. Probably the nicest one you've made so far. We are really bad with rosé. So that's the, that's the Secateurs range of wines. And then we, we have started bottling now after 10 years on, on the farm, bottling some single vineyard wines. You know, vineyards that have, that have really been like stellar. Some of that Grenache I was talking about, that old right. vine Grenache, Sinso, that Tinta Barocca. A few Shannon barai, a few Shannon vineyards that are really outstanding. They've got names like the Golden Slopes, nice. Dasi Kop, like weird names. And we're bottling a Palomino as well, but it's only a 600 bottle bottle. It's the most, uh, it's the tiniest, it's the most amazing vineyard on the West Coast. Ibn Saud and I share the vineyard. He takes the, the Palomino and the, and, the, and the Shannon together. He wow. just gives me a little bit of Palomino and we make uh, one barrel and it's called Salt of the Earth. An amazing wine. We work with quite a lot of um, uh, white uh, Muscat, Petitgrain, or Muscat de Fontina. We Do quite a few sort of uh, wines that are fermented on skins with Muscat, because I I love skin fermented wines, but but I prefer them to be of an aromatic varietal. Right. I don't want no. Chenin Blanc fermented on skins because, fuck, you know, it right. could there's be anything. Right? Yeah. You know, at least there's Muscat, it's I can recognise it. You right. know, I can get some points on the board. But so we work a bit of bit with Muscat on skins, and that's single vineyard single nice. vineyard bottlings as well. We've got barrels and barrels of fortified Muscatel, like oh, really? Muscat Alexandrie and Muscat de Frontenand, barrels of this stuff. I mean, for the last 10 years, we've just got barrels, like, stacked all over the place. Got this, so, you know, you fortify the juice immediately yeah. to make these, uh, I don't know what they call south. they call it or uh, but uh, but it's just a fantastic thing of Muscatel. It yeah. uh, reminds me of my grandfather. Yeah, he used to make... Uh, he used to have grapes that he once he retired he had like know, muscat of Alexandria and he used to squeeze the juice and we'd you know, kids always come and drink the fermenting juice really right. nice and and then the wine and and then later we added it on the salad. Yeah. So we planted with a bit of muscat as well. We've bottled some wines as well. We we bottle some so-called. I mean, fuck, you know, I don't know what this fucking natural wine thing is, but all our wines yeah. are natural. I mean, we we. <laughs> We had a bit of sulphur before bottling. Most of the wines are unfiltered. We filter wines right. if we need to. You know, we're sensible about it. We have a look at the wine. I've looked at it under the microscope. Um, so, ooh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fucking animals. Yeah, let's. Yeah. We need right. to filter it. all. like the wine is good to go. Right. We 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 operate like that. Um, we sell quite a bit of wine in Japan. Um, right. You know, a lot of skin fermented kind of wines with with with, with zero sulphur additions and. Right. You know, our Japanese are the only guys we sell directly like the cost. They'll come and taste and say, so, hey, bakota so Bakota son, how do you want this? Adi-san, just like that. It's like, <laughs> That's a great. Bottled awesome. it in a, in a refrigerated uh, container and there the wine goes, you know. Wish you could do that more, you know, but, uh, you know, the shipping of wine from the southern hemisphere to the yeah. northern hemisphere is extremely expensive. Right. takes time and uh, if you're shipping in refrigerated containers and you yeah. You're shipping a South African wine; it's adding dollars to the bottle, you know, and, you, and you're going to move it into
1: another price class. It's right. oh, crazy, anyway. So, so did those some some of those single vineyards are those going to show up in America? Yeah, no, they
0: yeah? they 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 they're all coming to America. They're all coming to America because they are, they are the you know we we've, we've got the Appalachian wines, we've got the Secateurs, and and these are just you know just showing they're geeky wines in a way, but right. they but they show a, a certain they, they're well-made and, they, and, and they've got personality and they, they make an impression, not through their opulence, but just through subtleness in a, right. in a way of the variety of the site. You know, the Shinnans are amazing to taste them together in a lineup. Right. So, uh, you know, we've got two Sinsas. Also, like, but small bottlings, you know, not, these are a thousand bottle bottlings. Right. I was, and it's a bit of a ball ache, you know, because people get irritated. They're like, fuck, how do we sell this stuff? And I was Great.
1: like, shit, man. Deal with it, figure it out. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> You're like upset. I made them, you figure out how to you sell it. No, you them,
0: upset right? more people than anything, you know. Right. So, But for us, it's just a, a, an expression of that, you know. My son, my son is uh, very much into the farming aspect. My daughter loves wine. She was in the winery the right. other day, and I was moving um, some red wine from one big food to another one. There was some wine in a in like a bucket with you, you've got to siphon it out to get the last bit out. And she walked in and she says, what, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm just racking this wine. She said, can I taste? I said, yeah. So she went down and she put her hand in the wine and took a slurp and then took another slurp. And she said to me, "Slipped me in the eye. I said, did you make this wine? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, I felt in the spotlight. You know, I felt a bit nervous. <laughs> so, so I said, yes, I did. And she said, can I have another sip? I said, yeah, sure. She said, no, this is... This is None of the best wine you've made. Yeah, wow. This wine, this wine, to me tastes of freedom. It's fucking nine years old, man. So, so there is that interest. We don't push the kids. My wife and I don't push the kids in that direction. But there is an interest. They do help out in the winery. They help out when we bottle during the harvest. They're cleaning. They, they involved. But they've got their own lives at the moment at school and sport, sure, which sure. as you know, it's it's a full time thing, you know. Absolutely. Um, but I, I would be my my wife and I would be really. So happy if 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 they would just carry on with the with the business, right. you know. It's a difficult thing. You often wonder what you know what the what the varietal mix is going to look like, what the climate's going to look like. I mean, deep in my heart, I would love them just to make one wine, right. all the shannon together, all the grenache blanc, just to make one wine from this property. I think that would be the best. It would be light in color. It would be fresh, it'd be amazing fruit, slight bit of tannin. It's just the wine that you can drink and yeah you know, that, that that's and, and, and it's a wine that, that is simple in, 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 not, not simple in in, in, it, in its constitution, right but simple in its philosophy and which will match the humility of where we are in a, in a way that I would like. You know, I can actually like wake up and I kick myself, i was like, "Shit, man, why are you doing so?" I was "I, was, I think I'll just go back and make one wine and right. and set, set the tone for that, and, right. and hopefully they'll have the same flight." But you know, when you when you're young, you're like what your father did is, "Oh, please, right, exactly. man! Oh,
1: jeez, right. you know, what? Why did you plant that?" End up making 25 yeah. wines,
0: you know, and um, yeah, so we're planting quite a bit of agave as well.
1: Really?
0: Yeah, we're making a. We've started a little project on the side. We're making a <laughs> like a. A mezcal spirit, <laughs> so planted a lot of agave as well. So, what do they do
1: there? I mean, well,
0: South Africa. Apparently, I mean, according to like the guy I buy the the, the plants from, he says it's got the, South Africa's got the second highest plantation of agave outside of Mexico. Thousands of hectares in a place called. <laughs> no one else grows it.
1: Nobody <laughs> else grows it. Nobody, <laughs>
0: nobody else knows what to do with it. Right, exactly. You know, so we've dabbled in a bit of that just for just for fun. Yeah, so we buy the plants. It's a, it's a, it's a 500 mile journey to go oh, and pick wow. the plants. And these, uh, it's, a, it's a Blue Agave, yeah. massive things. They're just almost 20, 22 years old. Bring them back to the farm, chop them up, heat them in a pit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, uh, I love, I love uh, mescals and tequilas. Yeah. And always, I always find it really fascinating the different villages. And uh, from a winemaking point of view, it's sensible to do something like yeah. that in a way. But um, I've never been to Mexico. I, I need to get go there because I've just watched YouTube videos right. and my data keeps on running out and the connection where I'm is pretty shitty. So um, we do You're it like, miss it we'll it probably missing really <laughs> important steps, you know, um, but it's it. We're having fun with that kind of stuff. You know, we That's try cool. doing a whole lot of different things, planting grapes every year. Yeah, so, so 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 what we do is we there are some fantastic nurseries in South Africa. If there are particular particular varietals that are that I'm looking for, I pre-order in three or four years. I also still plant. When I plant a vineyard, I, I plant. A, I'll plant, for example, say I'm planting a, a grenache vineyard. I'll plant seventy percent of it, say grenache, and thirty percent rootstock
1: yeah. Yeah. that
0: I can graft on something else later. Right. Or I'll plant a whole block of rootstock. And then do a selection from my own stuff and graft okay. onto that the following year. So we did a lot of that kind of that that kind of stuff as well. But um, a lot of the writers are available now in South Africa. One we're looking to plant is a strange grape called Pontac.
1: Oh, what's
0: that? Oh, it used to be grown in the Cape. I don't even know where it's from in France. It's probably extinct in France, but it's called Pontac. One of the first grapes to arrive in the Cape. Is it a broad so, or? It's like southwest, probably down <laughs> oh, here, yeah. muddier and down there somewhere, I think. And... Uh, but it's a it's a, a black juice variety. Okay. So we're looking at planting it. In fact, the a good source of Pontac is outside the American Embassy in the Kingdom of Lesotho. Oh. But I mean, one wow. as you know, you know, looking like I, I can't just walk yeah. into the American <laughs> Embassy and just take some material. Right. I might just be. <laughs>
1: yeah, just I, might up, just, right. I might just.
0: I might just have some serious cuffs on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So there was Pontac in the. Yeah, so that's they, they're trying to get a bit of material from that because it's really, really hard to find.
1: And so is Red Flesh? So
0: yeah, Red like Flesh, Red Juice. Caperitif <laughs> yeah. we started doing in 2014. Okay. So we been doing it a couple of years now. And um, that's, yeah, also a uh, weird story. Um, this Danish guy approached me. This Danish guy met a friend of my wife's at a wedding. And, you know, he was in South Africa. He was a mixologist okay. and... Um, so Lars, I met Lars, and he said, listen, you know, he's got this idea of this thing called kaperitif. It used to be made here in South Africa. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, it's a vermouth. I said, a what? He said, a vermouth. I said, you yeah, know, I don't know. I've heard of it. I've heard of vermouth, but never tasting. He said, no, it's just wine. You add a whole lot of herbs and stuff. to it. Said, okay, I've got the wine. Yeah. And um, so we started experimenting my kitchen just with various botanicals and obviously, you know, the usual stuff. Yeah. The European botanicals, the Blessed Thistle, Alcampan, Jean Sien, all that kind of stuff, and some chamomile, and but then obviously a lot of fruit, but then a lot of indigenous uh, botanicals that we that we've added. You know, seventeen, eighteen of them. A lot of them are are just unknown. I mean, people right. just don't know what they are, so it was really, really difficult. So we had to change the recipe. Uh, for the for the Capra in America because they didn't recognise a lot of these botanicals. <laughs> like
1: you put in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they had no idea.
0: You know, but 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 are botanicals, are healing botanicals, and right. stuff that you could buy on the streets in South Africa that right. are sold by the they call them the mountain men. These Rastafarian guys that live up in the mountains, and they and yeah, and they they go pick these medicinal plants and they bring them to the city. And if you go, they said, yes, man, my, <clears throat> my chest, he says I no, brother. Just take this, this, this. Wow. Drink that. Drink that tea. And you know, it, it 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 the stuff works and it's yeah. amazing. Um so a lot of those botanical. So we draw on obviously the story of Capra Tiff. It was made in South Africa in the early 1900s, and then they stopped making in the 1940s. We just registered the name, cool. came up with a with, with with our version of it, stuck a label on the bottle. Um so we've got this strong tradition in South Africa because I mean Capra Tiff was um also became quite famous because it, was, it must have been a reasonable uh, ingredient because right. it was recorded in a Savoy cocktail book and a bartender's guide. Oh, it was like 70 cocktails containing Capra tiff. So when when we first, mailed, when we first uh, made it, I was getting mails from guys here from America saying, Hey man, I see you like you're making the ghost. Right. So I said, The what? <laughs> no, the ghost. Oh, no. We call Capra tiff the ghost. Was the ghost Whoa. ingredient?
1: That's wow. Was like
0: they, they were making these cocktails from the 1920s, and they right. couldn't find caperetif,
1: right.
0: so they'd use they'd call it the ghost. Yeah, they'd call it the ghost, and so that that's how we started with that. So it's a so it's a cool thing because it's got in fact like a hundred years of tradition, yeah, and it draws in the thousands and thousands of years of the wisdom of these
1: mountain men right. for the botanicals, the healing botanicals, and it tastes good.
0: And it, it's yeah, well that's good. the most important thing. It tastes delicious
1: thank you again to Adi Badenhorst. The wines are delicious. The stories are fantastic. He's such a cheerful, fascinating, and interested, passionate man. It's great to sit down with him and his fervor matches the wines in their intricacies and their interest. Hope you enjoyed. Please drink well. We'll see you next time. Bye.